The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We, if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to pick up in the book of Luke, um, still at the end of chapter 1. Luke has these like ridiculously long chapters. I'll just say it's one of those uh, deceptions about the gospel of Luke. You're like, oh, I'm going to read. It's only 24 chapters or something. And then they're like Tolkien-esque long chapters. So, okay, here we are. Uh, We are at the birth of John, chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, And I'm going to read through the end, and then we are going to... Actually, I'm just going to read the... We'll read the song as we preach through it, and I'm going to read kind of everything, all the narrative leading up to that. And we'll get started on this together. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And their neighbors and relatives heard, but the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then? will this child be, for the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray. God, as we finish out this opening chapter about who John is and your work to set things up, to bring Jesus into the world and into our lives, I pray that our hearts will be quiet and still before you and enjoy your goodness to us. Would we regain our voice with John, with Zechariah, not merely just to be like John, but to point and to enjoy who Jesus is. So God, I pray that you'll be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to do a little bit of a survey to start things out. Who, does anybody have like their favorite singer-songwriter? Like, you know what I mean when I say singer-songwriter? Like, for example, Miley, not to blow your mind, Miley Cyrus does not write all of her own songs. Uh, some of them she writes, I can, I'm sure, but some of them she doesn't. Um, does anybody have like a like their favorite singer songwriter? Can you you want to volunteer who that is? Matt Litzinger. Oh my gosh, Matt. <laughs> Matt, who's your favorite singer songwriter? Give me the top three. I know who uh, one of those, two of the three are. Anybody else favorite singer-songwriter? Andrew Peterson, okay. Great choice. Anybody else? Yes. Man, I was waiting for somebody to say that. Me and Isaac, we're on the same page here. Taylor Swift, anybody else favorite singer-songwriter? Or just songwriter, you don't have, they don't have to sing. Yes, Silas. Daft Punk, yes, they're, 
I just want you to know that Daft Punk is singer songwriter. They write their, they write their own songs and then they electronically sing their own songs. So, yes. Who? Hans Zimmer. He's a composer. He writes a song. That's true. I listened to a whole. By the way, that's weird. I listened to a whole interview this last week by the guy with a guy who works with similar instruments. They like they create these like creepy like metal instruments. That's where he gets all these like zing types. Anyhow, sorry. Um, last one. Anybody else? Sorry, I, <laughs> this is kind of fun for me. Lin Manuel. Anybody? We don't talk about Lin Manuel or anybody else. Okay. The thing that's always fascinating me about singer-songwriters, I don't know if you ever tried to write a song, but a songwriter, they a song is like so incredibly hard to write, especially when it comes to the lyrics, because you ultimately have to like, you have to think and meditate on something for a super long time when you're writing a song, generally speaking. Like you do have the occasional songs that, that they'll write where they're like, I sat down, I wrote this song in 15 minutes, and it's one of my top five hits of all time. And they're like so frustrated with that. Whereas most songs take forever to write because it takes a lot of mental effort to kind of get into the emotional space of whatever you're writing about. You know, like Taylor Swift's latest album, All Midnight Meditations. You know, when she was like, it's all about insomnia and midnight meditations. I was like, sign me up. I want to know what you're talking about. Um, Antihero is my favorite track off of that song. Hello, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I'm like, you're singing my heart language, girl. She thought about that for a long time. Right, songs come out of these spaces where we have a lot of space to think about what we are feeling, what we are seeing, and then how do we match words to that reality. I don't know if you've noticed, this came up in our small group this last week, the opening chapters of Luke are basically narrative songs. It's like a musical, right? It's a lot of narrative about what God's doing, and then people are singing these long songs, think, you know, musical style type opening chapters, there's, if, if I recall correctly, four songs that open up the Gospel of Luke. Here we run into the third of them, I think. Maybe it's the second one. Second one because we run into the shepherds, somebody else. But this narrative and then this kind of like musical a song. The, the thing that I find interesting as we're kind of dropping into this last part of Luke 1 is that the narrative up to this point has been around Zechariah, and the culmination is around Zechariah's regaining of his voice in obedience to God to say, this child's name is John, who's going to be the prophet, the forerunner before God's Messiah. That's kind of the whole narrative scope. But what I think is fascinating for us to think about is, what is the emotional space, the pondering that, that Zechariah had to do? Because he was if you're doing your calculators correctly, silent for nine months. He had a lot of time to process and ruminate and consider so that when we get to his song here in verse 68, we are getting to a song that he has been pondering for nine months. He's been thinking about what has God done? What is God doing? What will God do? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for everybody else around me? He's been pondering a lot. You can certainly imagine he's played over this scene in his head of walking into the Holy of Holies, seeing Gabriel the angel. Any, again, between the last time we talked about this and now, has anybody seen an angel? I'd love to know. I can only imagine it's terrifying. Seeing an angel from the presence of the Lord saying, Zechariah, you are going, your wife's going to bear a son in her old age. You're going to name him John, and he's going to be the prophet of the Most High. 
and him being like, prove it. Like you can imagine him having played that over in his head, that space of, I don't know if you want to say cynicism or doubt or whatever it was that led to his punishment being, you're going to be silent for the next nine months or, or longer, being kind of where he's been. That's that emotional space of pondering God's goodness to him, God's punishment to him, God's big story of what he's doing. That's been the emotional space that Zachariah has lived in. And functionally, he's kind of become a singer-songwriter, right? Here he is. John is born, writes a whole song. In that space, the regaining of his voice, as I look at this passage, is similar for us in the sense of, in regaining his voice, Zechariah is kind of, in a sense, regaining his humanity. Because that's ultimately what Jesus is here to do. When people ask, what's your job? To me, I say I help people recover their humanity by loving and following Jesus. It's how we recover our humanity as God's work through Jesus. And Zechariah, by regaining his voice, is recovering his humanity. And so the song that we have here is basically what Zechariah pondered as he was presumably anticipating regaining his humanity, regaining his voice. How does he process God's work in his life? To regain his humanity. So, with that in mind, we want to be, we like Zechariah, end the year, begin a new year. I want us to kind of treat this a little bit of how do we take this song and this moment to kind of assess this last year and assess this coming year as we want to regain our humanity. So, the main point, which is not going to be a shocker and maybe not the best stated, but regain your voice by entering God's story. It's kind of where we want to kind of land, we want to kind of circle around. So we want to pick up in Zechariah's song here in verse 68, but I'll start with 67. And we're going to look at the first few verses and sit, talk about how Zechariah regains his humanity when he regains what's gone on and recover his humanity. He sings about the story of God's presence. <clears throat> I'm going to read this for us, 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and has redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. See, when Zechariah ponders, he's been silent for nine months. He's in, his mind goes to thinking about what has God said that he would do in the past? And he has to be confronted with the reality that God visited his people. And here he's doing it again. That language of God visiting, does that, anybody, does that strike you as familiar to another story in the Bible, in the Old Testament? Is that, that language used somewhere else? God visited his people. Anybody? Garden of Eden, yeah. Any other place where God visits his people? Generally, yes, yep. Also thinking of the Exodus story where God visits his people. They're all kind of iterations of the same idea of God visiting his people. When God shows up, 
God does something. Like he, it's not just kind of like he kind of shows up and like knocks on the door, like, hey, just want to say I appreciate your yard ornaments. Look great, decorations look nice. But he shows up when God visits. He's active in his ex, in his presence. His presence isn't just kind of like, can I have a you know. I will say occasionally whenever we were walking our neighborhood and our children have dropped by, we do like, I call it the Denio's slowdown. Like we'll walk past the Denio's house and our kids are like, are the Denio's in the backyard? And then it turns into not only are the Denio's in the backyard, but do you have any Oreos? (laughs) When God shows up, in contrast, he mentions here the horn of salvation, right? He has raised up a horn of salvation. This is basically just saying like, Look, bulls have horns, strong animals, ox have horns. God's presence is filled with strength for his people. He's not really just sending a messenger to tell them, like, hey, I'm strong. When he shows up, his presence is strength for them. And verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, he said he was going to do this. Now he's here showing up and doing it. But you have to think about who is it? That Zechariah, as he's processing this, this isn't just in general terms. Like God has been present for him. God has shown up for him, and yet somehow he missed the mark. He somehow, not that he didn't measure up, but he just kind of, I mean, he literally had a messenger from the Lord in front of him, and he just kind of flubbed the, the pass. Here, as Zechariah prom- ponders God's promises in the past, he's recognizing I missed what those stories were trying to tell me about God's presence. Because if you go through and read the Old Testament, you have Genesis, and you have Exodus, and then you have stories of God's presence where he was there, but kind of behind a veil, like Ruth or Job. He was there in mighty and obvious, powerful ways, and then he was there in kind of veiled ways. Zechariah, as he processed this recognized, I need to be more aware of God's presence and nearness to me. You see, when he talks about verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from all those who hate us, kind of put another layer onto this, who is the people that hate the Israelites? I'm not sure that that's the real important question because, frankly, as Jesus' ministry goes on to point out through the Gospel of of Luke and others, the hate, the enemies, actually ends up being the religious community who persecute Jesus and persecute the disciples. Um, There's certainly the political oppressors who tax and disenfranchise the, the Israelites but it ends up being family and friends and ourselves. Anybody basically who gets in the way of us knowing and following. And in Zechariah's case, that person that was his enemy was his own self and seeing God's presence with him. So what I want to ask us, this, this kind of, I guess this is what I want to say is when we look at this last year, Sometimes we get in our own way of seeing God's presence with us. So what I want to ask you to do, and I, I can send these questions out through an email if that's more helpful for you. But God's presence has been with us. 
He's promised it. He has done it. Often we have veiled eyes and don't quite see his presence with us as clearly as we should. There's an old proverb, not well in the, in the Bible, but those who see the most of God are those who acknowledge him. All right, as we look at 2023, or 2022, I'm sorry, and think about what, where have we seen God's presence with us? I think the categories we want to look for are where have there been life-giving moments in 2022, in the last year? Where have you experienced undeserved kindness in 2022? Where have you experienced a sense of peace and healing and refreshment in 2022. Because those surprising moments, those moments that maybe feel more fleeting than they are, are those are the those are the often unacknowledged moments of God's kindness and presence in our lives. We unless you're like unless there's something I don't know, uh, I don't think most of us have had a Zachariah moment where an angel has shown up and said, God's seen you, he's blessing you, and yet we all experience that in our life together. I would think, I think that in terms of filling out our faith for the year ahead, there is something for us in looking back at 2022 and acknowledging where has God been. I mean, I think that for us as a church, like, honestly, the fact that we still exist as a church, like after the pandemic is a pretty big miracle. (laughs) I'm not saying that like in one way or the other. I'm just saying a lot of churches have folded during the pandemic. Thank God we're still here. And then when I start kind of deviling into the details, I'm like, you know, we, st- we have an incredibly gifted and diverse congregation of different types of people and things. And not to highlight any one over the other, but I'm just thinking like, I mean, we have incredibly gifted worship leaders and people who know how to play music that aren't leading worship, we'd like to get them leading worship in the year ahead. But man, just think about like the way God has blessed us in the last year with being able to sing about his goodness. Think about it. I'm, I'm just so impressed with our the youth in our church and the way in which they meaningfully take on discipleship. It's not, it's, I feel like when we look at the, the life of our church, we have two deacons that we're going to be commissioning in the coming year. One renewing Rachel as compassion, and then also with Heather, with crisis care. And just think like, man, like the way God has blessed us, he's been present with us in those areas so that we can really, when we ordain or commission anybody in the church, we're we're acknowledging God's presence in that already. We're not trying to like, hey, we're going to start a new initiative. When we do those things, we're acknowledging what God has already been doing, which is like with Dave Hamilton, I'm grateful for God leading us to have another elder in the church. And really, you should feel like, this ordination process seems like it's taking forever because it's like, yeah, we should be formalizing what we already feel. Dave is an incredibly gifted person for our, our church. The formalities take a long time to catch up to the reality that we experience. Uh, there's other ways that I think of our church being the way we've experienced God's presence with us. I mean, honestly, like, one of your small groups went and all did like a vacation together. Like, <laughs> if you guys have fun doing that. That's great. That's just con- like the kindness of God to make a group where that's the type of friendship that exists where we all want to go on a vacation together. 
just and I'm not saying I'm not holding that up as a standard. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if we step back, where do we acknowledge God's presence with us? Just to draw in this story, God spoke the world out of nothing. Humanity wrecked it and brought death into this place. And then over the course of several thousand years, he persisted in pursuing us so that we could be his family ultimately in Jesus. And here we are in Manchester, New Hampshire, zip code 03103 or whatever your zip code is, experiencing this renewing presence that he brings us that we do not deserve. And yet he seems to persist in bringing near to us. God seems more consistent and more, and more intentional to persist in bringing us his presence than we often are in recognizing it. And I think the invitation of this question is to say, how can we turn around and say, okay, yeah, God, you were here. That's all I'm going to say. All right, we're going to move on to 72 to 75. Not only God's presence, but God's story of liberation. We've kind of alluded to this, so there's going to kind of be filling out some kind of aspects that we passed over um, in the previous verses, but singing ultimately with Zechariah the story of God's liberation. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people. Now, sorry, I got sidetracked down to 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. Right? Here, the purpose of God's redemption is to show us mercy. One commentator has said, here we find a fundamental basis for God's behavior in any time, and it is to give mercy to those he pursues. Right? And the mercy here is active, right? When God shows up and gives mercy, he's not just kind of like giving out handouts. His mercy is invasive. It comes into our lives. He gives us mercy in ways that literally that we have no concept of needing, right? Those who are sick do not quite understand or do not really understand the nature of their disease. God comes in understanding the nature of the death and disease in our lives to give us mercy in personal, intimate ways so that when he, he kind of talks about his life with us, all that he's done with us is doing mercy. That's the entirety of what he's done with us. Notice here again, enemies show up. Right? That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. These enemies ultimately, are anything that keeps us from serving God and loving God without fear. What are the enemies that you experience in your own life? If we take the life of Jesus as any indicator, there are spiritual enemies. Jesus doesn't tend to really talk much. I can't remember very much if he talks anything about political enemies, but the way enemies... Our friends become enemies. There's relational strife that happens. There's pride. There's arrogance. Those are the types of enemies that get in the way. We talked earlier about how Zachariah, actually, he himself was his own worst enemy in terms of 
It's recognizing the presence of God. When we look to this last year, what would those enemies be for you? And then more importantly, how can you acknowledge God's kindness to you in whatever those areas are? You know, think about for myself, like I just think my own personal mental health is radically better than it was a year ago. It's not like that was easy. There's been work and growth in that. That's been an experience of God's liberating mercy in my own life. When you look at this last year, are there friendships that are healthy? Are there aspects of your life where you have seen some measure of growth, whether it's some besetting sin where I'm not free of it, but I'm closer to walking with Jesus in a healthier way? When you think about your last year, are there friendships that are deeper than they were a year ago? If you're married, is your relationship with your spouse more healthy than it was a year ago? If you have kids, is your relationship with your kids healthier than they were a year ago? Right? I think we do a disservice to recognizing God's liberating power in our lives when we don't just say the things that are better than they were is actually because of God's mercy and care for us. It's not just because, like, well, it's just the way it is. No, those are actually marks of God's kindness to us. Is if you're in recovery, is your recovery stronger than it was a year ago? I just think taking assessment of the last year, where have you experienced God's liberating power from those things that would keep you from following him without fear? Basically a question. All right, I want to move on to second, the last part of the song. If you have questions, we can uh, get to those at the end. Verse 76 to 80. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. It's interesting. So basically what we're talking about is John is, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with boxing, but anybody familiar with the, who, I don't, know, I don't even know what the term is, but for the guys who carry the, the championship belt before the boxer, is there like a term for that guy? Anybody? That guy is who John's going to be. Like he's carrying the belt before Jesus. That's kind of his job. And the thing where I find the emotional kind of gravity of this passage drawing us into, he's drawing us in to hear about what God has done to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. I just think that tender mercy phrase is so full of meaning and exploration that it's hard to kind of fully do it justice this morning. But you think, like, when you think tender, you know, you think about, like, picking up a puppy, like, you're being tender with it, or a newborn. You have a newborn child, and you're just very tender in how you carry, care for them, right? There's that sort of, like, tenderness, like the, something that's precious, that deserves specific, tender, very intentional care for it. When God comes to us, he says, you are somebody that I am so eager to give mercy to. 
here I am. I want you to have this mercy. And he carries you with tender care. That is what God is doing here in the work that Jesus is accomplishing. Right? We, as a society or people individually, we can recommend people who are hard but skilled. We want to be around people that are compassionate and merciful. Like we want to be with them. Right? When we talk about what God's doing through Jesus, here he says to give uh, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun shall, sunrise shall visit from us from a high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide their feet in the way of peace. Now, when Zechariah is commenting on this, he's commenting on a reversal from Psalm, I'm sorry, from Isaiah 58. Can we put this up here? Isaiah 58, 59, I'm sorry, verse 8. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked, and no one treads on, on them knows peace. Now, this is a, a verse of judgment that Zechariah is taking and flipping to say, God is going to visit us in such a particular way through his work, this tender mercy in Jesus, that our feet, as we walk in Jesus, do know the way of peace and do know justice and do uh, correct our paths and follow in the way of God. That's basically the idea here. Right? This is kind of the concluding verse to say of Zechariah's song as he's regaining his voice, so to speak. Those who regain their humanity in God walk like God and walk a pathway of peace like God. A pathway that gives not only peace for themselves, but peace for all those who walk around them. So we regain our voice, not merely just to talk about what God's done for us, but this way of peace, this voice that we have, it is for the good and blessing of other people in our lives. So as we end, what I wanted to ask, where have you seen in this last year God's peace, the way of peace in your life? Not merely are there ways that have been changed from where you've overcome Satan's sin or death in your life, but where, what are the things that come to mind of We've been a blessing to others. This isn't to like pat yourself on the back or anything like that, but where have you, where has God used your life so that others are experiencing a taste of the goodness of God? I think about, honestly, we not only does our church meet obviously here in the recovery center, but that we had the recovery festival where we were able to kind of say like, here's who we are. And here, people were excited to hear about us and kind of see, oh, there's a church that, you know, because I don't know if you're familiar with this, in the recovery world, there's kind of like the church meets in the basement, like meaning the AA groups meet in the basement of the church while the rest of the church meets upstairs. I just really appreciate that we kind of flipped that of like, uh, no, you guys have the recovery center and we just kind of use your space and try to point everybody to Jesus. Where have you seen the way of peace in your life? I could go on a list of things, but I want to be sensitive to our time this morning. There's one aspect of this song that I want to end us, or story that I want to end us with to kind of pull out. Here in verse 63, if we go to the next slide here, in 66, we see this aspect of pondering. And this is kind of why I'm, I'm emphasizing these songs that emphasize aspects of who God is among us. Right? This is Zachariah. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. And all these things, so after Zechariah sung this song 
everybody around them. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now that phrase, laid them up in their hearts, not only is that true of the, of the, kind of the, the community around them, but then it's true of Mary. And all who heard, I mean, there's the song of the shepherds, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then at the end, this is where after Jesus goes to the temple, um, you know, and he gets lost for a few days and they come back and find him. And he went, um, and Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother, Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. So here in the verse two chapters, we are invited to consider with all the characters, what is it that God is doing? And that's why I'm saying, here as we end this year, what is it that God has done in his presence for you? Where have you experienced God's liberation in your life? Where have you experienced the way of peace in your life in this last year? And then what I want us to consider as we kind of look, I would say for a small group meeting in the next week or two, or as you begin the next year, where do you want to, in 2023, where do you want to experience God's presence in your life? Where do you want to experience God's liberation in your life? Where do you want to experience the way of peace in your life? You know, this isn't like name it, coin it, but it's just saying, look, anticipating the year ahead, whatever's coming, family things, personal things, work things, church things as they, as they apply, community things in our neighborhood, where do you want to experience God's presence? God, when it comes to, I think, I think about the recovery festival this next year. God, when, I, when we do that this next year, I want to experience your presence with us. I want to experience your liberating power to free people from addiction in their lives. I want to experience the way of peace that people feel like we are a community for them. Now, that's kind of speaking broadly. For you personally, where do you expect, expect next year? What does it look like to want to experience God's presence, his liberation, and his way of peace? So as we end this year, or end this passage, I guess I just want to say, here we've walked through kind of considering what did Zechariah, when he was silent for six months and becoming a singer-songwriter, what did he ponder that we experience in the song that he wrote? then what ways can you be pondering God's presence, liberation, and way of peace with you as you regain your voice and your humanity in Jesus? Let's pray. God, as we've talked about this passage and consider what you have for us, I pray that we would regain our humanity and experience your nearness, salvation, and way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.